evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the latest edition of the Gelsnet Weekly Podcast, hosted by myself, Craig Gray, the independent Rangers podcast made for fans by fans. And um, you can check us over at our forum at gelsnet.co.uk, where you can get a number of articles. Um, obviously, the podcast that we're doing here ourselves, and you can get us over on Twitter at Gelsnet Online. Um, here today, um, obviously, to talk about today's win over Rafe Rovers in the Scottish Cup and uh, a number of other things that are Rangers-related, as we do here. Um, just before we get into the nitty-gritty, though, just want to start with a message from our sponsors, that is Forest Precision Engineering. They are a subcontract Glasgow-based engineering company who have been a big commercial supporter, uh, supporter of Rangers for many years, and we're delighted that they're backing your podcast. You can get them over at forestprecisioneng.com. And you can also visit the new Forest Precision Executive Lounge, a stirring hospitality area within the historic main stand at Ibrox. For more information on how to book this unique and intimate space, you can email the club via hospitality at rangers.co.uk. So now that that's done, first time to introduce my guest. Joined us again after last week, Mr Stuart Weir. How are you doing on this wonderful Sunday? Yeah, well, now that you've mentioned it, yeah, it's... Uh... I wouldn't use the word or prefix anything with the word wonderful um, today. I think it was one um, that we, you know, we endured, put it that way. I think anybody who watched the game for, you know, the duration would have uh, have, have ended the, the match with the sole thought of that stranger doesn't in the semi-finals. Let's see what the draw throws up. Aye, the old saying, chips and him, as they say. And uh, also joining Stuart tonight, um, it's the Elvis movie's biggest fan himself, Mr Doogie Kinnear. How you doing, mate? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. I'm actually surprised I'm allowed back on the pod after our last time together, which was the um, the old firm cup final preview, where I, I predicted that we were going to go and, go and beat them, and beat them convincingly. Um, so it's good to be back on the podcast, and um, let's review... As uh, Frankie just called it in the, the comments there, an absolute, what was it he said, a, a snore fest, a snore fest this, this, this fine Sunday. Ah, yeah, it was a snore, a snore fest. Um, yeah, obviously, Rangers 3, Rafe Rovers now in the Scottish Cup through the semi finals. Um, that's obviously the positive. Another positive is it went a lot better than our last meeting against Rafe Rovers in the Scottish Cup in 2015, but we don't want to go over that, do we? Um, Stuart, I'll start with you. What was your overall takeaways for the game? Um, I thought that um, the the result aside that Rangers were on it hiding to nothing in a game like this. Um, you hardly think that um, Wraith Rovers are going to travel through from Fife and suddenly turn up and play like the AC Milan side of 1994 or the Real Madrid side of 1960. You know what you're going to get with them. I think uh, in advance, when you had um, Ian Murray, the, their manager uh, and, and formerly of Rangers, um, basically saying he's looking for his team to put a, you know give a, give a good account of themselves, um, trying to keep it tight. I don't think anybody actually appreciated how tight they would actually try and keep it, which would be, you know. Any 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 distance over two yards outside their own penalty area was an adventure for them. It was, <laughs> you know, I, you hear all these different terms: uh, low press, high press. They, they they just decided they were not going to come out the press. They were going to hide in there and, you know, and and defend at all costs. And I I mean I think it was difficult for Rangers. And I, I noticed 
various comments during the course of the day saying Rangers never do well against teams that lie, lie deep and just come to defend. That, that would apply to a, a great many teams. You know, you watch enough football, you see teams, some teams really toil. And I know people will say, well, this, this Rangers side or that Rangers side never struggled. But those different Rangers teams had different different strengths. Some of the strengths were that they basically just attacked and knocked the hell out of the other teams. You know, you buy it's a strike partnership that I can first remember, a striker I can first remember, maybe be, say, um, you know, Colin Steele into Derek Johnson into Derek Parlin and then through that sort of era. You know, they would they would go and mix it with these teams. Whereas I don't think Rangers really have anybody of that ilk who could do that without getting sent off or booked really early on. And I think Scottish football's obviously changed as well. But I mean the the the, the whole thing with that is that I, I thought the Rangers you know the way the, the, the game un, you know unfolded was exactly how I thought it would. And and I said half, you know halfway through the second half it's going to take either Rangers getting uh, a penalty or, you know, a deflection or a known goal. I didn't think the deflection would be as good as it was. It was well-placed, with no fantastic precision. Um, but it was just that kind of turgid game. The Goldson goal came at the right time, gave Rangers a bit of a spark. But anybody was there going there looking for four and five and six today, you know, you, you, could, have, you could have stayed in the house because it was never going to happen. Yeah, I mean, that that's actually what Adam was staying in the house because I never woke up until about <laughs> half 12 and I was like, oh, well, no point in going now. I'm not going to make it in time. So I, I watched it on the telly and do you know what? I'm actually quite glad um, that I did wake up at half 12, to be honest, and didn't need to put myself through it in person. Um, Dougie, we very nearly got a surprise early on. I mean, it was my second surprise of the week. The first one was seeing Ian Murray in interviews earlier. I mean, I completely forgot that that guy existed. Um, and then, what, two minutes into the game... We're seeing each Malkin surface <laughs> put the ball wide when Alan McGregor was caught off his line. I mean, we've seen the last tie against Partick Thistle, you know, we struggled in that. Granted, the team was a bit different, but can you just imagine um, what would have happened if that went in? I'm right behind the goals as well. I'm in the Copeland, so I'm right behind McGregor in that one. And when it, when it, when it left his boot, I actually thought it was goal bound. Um, but as it started to get in the air, you could see it drifted more and more to the side, and in the end, it was it was comfortable. But um, fair play to the lad, and fair play to Wraith Rovers as well. You know, we said it after the the Partick Thistle game that um, Partick Thistle brought a, a, a great support to Ibrox, and Wraith Rovers did today as well. Um, we'll forget some of the songs that we're singing um, just to give them a little bit of praise for the numbers that they that, that they brought, because actually. From a Scottish football perspective, we could we could benefit from having more teams as well supported as, as some of these in the Championship, competing in the Premiership. Um, but I, I agree with Stuart's summary of the game, though, because a lot of people are very critical, and I can see a lot of criticisms in the, the, the comments as well around the game itself. It, it's one of those games that you can look at from two sides. One, um, they played... I'm going to say the low block again, right? My mate Andy's already said in the comments he just hates that phrase, and I hear it as well. Bingo! Um, I've got that in my card. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they, they, they were so deep. Sure, you, you're right. They were so deep. But one of the things as well that was very apparent at the game is they were very narrow. They were so compact. They were they were really difficult to play against. And um, it was very evident. We had a couple of chances early doors that, and another day, one of them could have went in. The keeper actually made a couple of good saves. One from Tav. 
Uh, in fact, it wasn't a keeper, it was cleared off the line, the Goldson one, um, in the first kind of 20 minutes or so. One of them goes in, it could be a different game, but um, as it was, they were very deep. It was difficult to play against, and therefore it's going to be a completely different game to Wednesday night against Hibs. I've seen somebody make a comment um, that I was going to reference as well, which is we have a number of players that suit one style of football, and Sakala is a great example of that. When you look at Wednesday night against Hibs, Hibs, Hibs attacked us. Hibs left space in behind, and that's bread and butter for guys like Sakala. They love to go in behind, um, and that's when he's at his best. Unfortunately, we just had far too many players on our pitch today that aren't very good when they've got their back to goal. Um, and Sakala's one of them. Trolak's actually another one. I thought I thought Trolak was pretty poor today considering how good he was on Wednesday. Um, I just think it wasn't the right game for these guys. And I think that's one of the real challenges at Rangers. That I think you've got to be able to build squads, not starting 11s, but squads that are capable of, of performing in different games and different styles. It takes a completely different style to play against Wraith Rovers as it does against Hibs, against Celtic, as it does against Europe. And that's a real challenge that we have and we'll need to get right in the summer when we're, when we're obviously going to be making um, wholesale changes in a number of recruitment. But I think the second thing that needs to be said is the quality was not great. Um, when you consider how good we were on, um, on Wednesday night, I was pleased to see us go with a very strong start in the living. Um, I wanted us to kind of build that momentum, see if the players can do it on a, a regular basis. That's the challenge. We need to be doing it consistently. We were poor. We were poor today, and I expected more from certain players. Whilst I criticised Trollack and Cantwell, and Sakala because it just isn't their game, I was a little bit surprised that the Rangers gave man of the match to Cantwell. It's probably a reflection of just how poor we were today. Because Cantwell, Kent, these are your creative players that are starting that game, and you just need a bit more from them. We were we were very flat throughout the game, and we lacked quality and. I have to say it because um, I was on the, the preview pod for the old firm and I, I was fairly bullish. I thought we were we were going to, to Hamden um, full of confidence, ready to put up a, a really good performance against Celtic and, and obviously we did not. I watched their highlights after they beat Hearts 3-0 and um, it's a very different 3-0 to, to ours today. Celtic played very well against Hearts. They, 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 had, um, they had a lot of chances but the quality is just different. You look at our goals. I thought Goldson's goal was a brilliant header. It's a really good header. And when you've got teams that are playing the low block, you need to find those ways of getting goals. So it was really encouraging that we got one from a set piece, which we were also so poor under Geo. The second one is just an example of how scrappy that game is today because it's, it's, it's one of those ones that the ball's fizzed in. The defender's under zero pressure. And he ends up putting his, his laces through and it goes behind behind him and in the top corner behind Jamie McDonald. I think that kind of summed up the game for me. It was just a really low quality. And um, one of the challenges that I think we face right now is at some point, whether it be in a semi-final or final, hopefully, um, if we do get there, um, given that there's two lower league, or we've got obviously the, 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 um, the last of the quarters tomorrow night, um, but there's two lower league teams going to be in the pot at some point, uh, as well as Rangers and Celtic. We are going to play Celtic at some point in the, in the semi-final or final. And uh, What I would say, and it needs to be said, is based on that performance, we will not retain the cup. And it needs to be said right now because I, I put a lot of emphasis on the, on the cup final, the league cup final. This season cannot be a failure. 
we cannot finish the season on zero trophies. So this competition is very important to us, which is why we, we started such a strong team. We need to make sure we retain this trophy so that we don't finish the, the, the season trophyless. So um, big pressure, big pressure on, on this team to, to make sure that we do we do go on and, and, and win this, this competition. Um, otherwise, it'll be a real failure um, of a season. Can I just say, can I just um, come in and say about Jamie McDonald, well done him for sporting a Jim Gallagher haircut. Um, we've not seen that haircut since the mid-90s, so well done him. But what you said there, Dougie, in terms of Rangers approach, approaching certain players, um, some of the, the older viewers or older listeners might um, remember there was a sketch um, in Monty Python's where there was a boxer out doing his road work and he was running along the road, sort of jabbing and jabbing and jabbing, and suddenly came up against a parked car and stopped and looked at it and then just turned around and ran back the way he'd come. And I thought there was a bit of that about Rangers today. It was almost like they could press up until they hit that kind of defensive brick wall that Wraith had. And then all of a sudden it was like any, any spark of imagination or any genius that they might possess just drained out of them. And it was like, right, let's stop. And the Rangers didn't quite get into the the um, geo-horseshoe mode. But there were times where it was like they were playing literally from flank to flank, looking to try and make kind of openings. Now, I know that, you know, that has to be expected if you're playing against a side that are just going to sit back and defend at all costs. But you're looking for guys... You're looking for your playmakers and the guys with that kind of spark of inspiration to actually produce something. And I really don't think, once again, it was almost like a fear factor came in that guys were not willing to try it. If you can't try it against Ray Rovers, who the hell are you going to try it against? Definitely, Stuart. One of the things I'd say is a couple of comments about Cantwell um, right now because I said I wanted more from Cantwell. Cantwell worked hard. And actually, since Cantwell's joined, his work rate surprised me. I thought he was, a, he was going to be a luxury player. Um, but he's worked really hard off the ball and I think he, he, he was good further back today. He he worked hard, he was good in possession at times, but it's just that quality in the final third. I'm looking for a bit more from guys like Cantwell and, and, and Kent in that final third. Um, Kent in particular, also we all know the famous Roy McKay phrase around um, trips up for the circus. I just felt Ryan Kent was very ineffective today and I think it probably sums up Ryan Kent's career at Rangers. And it was interesting seeing a lot of comments on, on Twitter post-match. Um, basically, we need, to, we need to get better than Ryan Kent in the summer. Um, Ryan Kent is a very good footballer. I really, really like Ryan Kent, I think. Um, I think he suits certain games. Again, you look at Borussia Dortmund last season, Ryan Kent tore them a new one. Um, but I just I just want to see him more effective in that final third. The other, the other part of make this a bit of team, and it's it's a small point, but it needs to be said as well, as John Lindstrom was the only change from, from Wednesday night brought in, to, um, in, in replacement of, of Ryan Jack. I understand why we brought Jack out of the team. We've got to, got to look after him with his injury history, and I'd much rather him be fit for, um, for a cup game against Celtic, for example, than risking him against Wraith Rovers. But we're just an entirely different team when Ryan Jack's not in the team, and John Lindstrom is in the team. Um, John Lundstrom slowed us down today. Ryan Jack would have picked up the pace. John Lundstrom's very slow in possession, and 
one of the things that I said when um, when Michael Beale took over on the podcast is there'll be winners and losers in, in, in our squad. And I said at the time that I thought that Cholak would be the biggest loser in it, that I just didn't think his, his style worked for Michael Beale. You can actually see it's beginning to work. You've seen it in, on Wednesday. Um, not as great as game today, but you've seen flashes that he, he could he could work in the system. Lundstrom could be a, a big loser in this. He's a, a big earner. He's a big team leader. Um, he needs to give more to it. I think, I think uh, Lundstrom was... I, I know, going back to even when Sunis um, took over at Rangers, his attitude... You know, on several occasions, um, especially around Davy Cooper, was um, and uh, the, you're the effing winger here. I just passed the ball to him, and and I thought on Wednesday night there was an element of that from Jack, and as much as he saw the two guys in front of him, and 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 basically had decided that they were the guys that were going to be the playmakers. He was going to dictate the pace. He was going to dictate the direction. He was going to dictate who the ball went through. But they two guys in front of him or uh, beside him were, were the guys that were actually going to carry the play forward to Hibs. And I, I don't think Lundstrom carried that same authority for what a better description. Yeah, you're right, sure. I think, um, like like Dougie mentioned there, you can see the difference when you know, when Jack's in the team and, I, you know, I don't disagree with the decision today to, to play Lindstrom ahead of him. I thought it would have happened. Um, you know, you need, you need to manage Jack um, and, you know, he should be 100% fit for, for Motherwell away next Saturday, which is obviously a big game. I think the thing for me, Stuart, is that, you know, all right, we're through, the results are great and whatnot, apart from, you know, the Celtic games. Um, but, again, put it in my notes here, that was the strongest 11 that we could have played today, according to the manager, because that's what he said midweek. I'm going to play the strongest 11 that we can. So you need to say that that's the strongest 11 and take his word for it. Um, the performance just wasn't up to scratch again at Ibrox. And we're still waiting, Stuart, for that that 90-minute performance at Ibrox. We've not had it yet under Michael B. Is that, is that still a concern at the moment? Uh, is it a concern? Listen, I, I, I'm a bit... You know, I'm a bit older than you guys and therefore can go back a hell of a lot further when it comes to Rangers history and, and actually seeing Rangers and watching them under different guises and different managers with different players. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter who the manager was. It wasn't always like the Harlem Globetrotters when they played under Walter Smith or Sunus or Advocat or going back to the days of Jock Wallace. There were some turgid matches, you know, and, and going through various re- match reports and notes that I've made over the years, I could re- I could reference some of these games absolutely dire, and you forget that because you forget these things if your team happens to win a trophy or you know win win competitions or or, or do have a, an extended run like the European runs, um, you know, be it under. Giovanni Van Bronckhorst or beat under Walter Smith you tend to forget actually how other league matches were um, those seasons the, the, the thing I would emphasise is that you know the difficulty of playing at Ibrox it, 
Ibrox is a place that really can strike fear into the opposition, but equally it can strike fear into one or two Rangers players. And I know having spoken to guys who have been signed by Rangers and then left maybe after three, four, five, you know, seasons, whatever else it may be, or maybe even before that, the one thing that they will say is that if you're if if you're of a nervous disposition, Ibrox is not the place to carve out a career. Because, you know, these stories about guys disappearing into the toilets 10 minutes before kick-off and the lights and have to be summoned out onto the pitch because they're, in, a, in effect, still parting company with themselves. You know, that that's not the kind of uh, the environment that you really want to be in. And I do think that rather than inspire some, it strikes the fear of God into others. Hence the reason why you'll see square passes, why you'll see see such non-committal when it comes to attacking set pieces and the likes. And, and you know, and again, I think that's just the way that it is with some guys and some players. You know, have, having spent long periods away with different Rangers managers and, and on trips and all the rest of it, they'll tell you the guys, they would know the guys that were up for certain games, the guys that would absolutely slaughter Kilmarnock at Rugby Park or you know, tear, it, tear Dundee a new one at Dens Park or whatever it was. But when it came back to Ibrox, it was like, is that the same player for a second week in the trot? And and, and I think that's historically, you know, I could I could reference certain guys, but I won't simply because I don't want to embarrass anybody or fall out with anybody. But Rangers managers knew the type of player that, that would actually give a performance. Other guys thrived on it, absolutely thrived on it, absolutely bouncing off the walls before kickoff, wanting it in the pitch. But that isn't everybody. And I think sometimes it's more um more apparent and it's clearer when the opposition is at a much less at a much lesser standard than what Rangers are. And I think you saw that maybe today with Wraith Rovers. You knew that unless it was self-inflicted Rangers were never going to lose two or three goals today. Therefore, you knew they were always bankers for a victory. And still some guys found it difficult to perform at a certain level. Yeah, a couple of good points there. I think um, well, there's only one case for it then. If, if players can't hack the uh, the Ibrox fan base, we just need to shut the stadiums again because that's, that's <laughs> to be the only time that these players can go and win leagues. I mean, you are right, sure, in terms of obviously over the years, it's about getting the job done, getting the results and I just think nowadays, but I think fans are wanting to be entertained a wee bit more. Now, look, personally, I don't care. I just want to see Rangers win. So whether you play good or bad, it doesn't really make a difference to me. But I think as well with Michael Beale, he is someone who is seen as a coach. He is seen as someone who, you know, is there to improve players, to implement a certain style of play. And that's something that he spoke about himself. So for him, it isn't just about the results. You know, it is about those performances and... It is a bit of a shame that we've just not really seen that sustained level of performance at Ibrox yet. Obviously, that, that can change. But, Dougie, it's also one of the, the things as well that when you see the team across the other side of the city, your greatest rivals, putting in those performances week in, week out, you're, you, you know, you're saying to yourself, why can't Rangers do this? And one thing that I've kind of picked up is like this talk about, oh, you know, the low block, it's tough to break these teams down, etc. I mean, I don't want to say this as if it's, you know, 100% fact, because I don't know, but it, it seems a wee bit like that seeps into conversations to maybe use it as a wee bit of an excuse or a get-out-of-jail card, because you think back to when Gerard was here, the first two seasons under him anyway, it was always, 
Yeah, you know, we str- struggle with the low block, struggle uh, struggle to go to Livingston, Kilmarnock, like the plastic pitch one as well, you know, as if as if it was some sort of it. And, and we get all that, but at the end of the day, your Rangers, your budget, God knows how many times bigger than these teams, it's up to you to go in and put, and put those performances in. Rafe Rovers weren't going to come out today and, you know, string, I don't even know if they strung four or five passes together, but they weren't going to come out and play Tiki, Taka, Barcelona, football or anything like that, they were going to come, they were going to put 12 men behind the ball, they were going to, you know, sit back and, you know, hope that, you know, Rangers couldn't score and obviously we've won the game 3-0, but if you look at the goals, first goal's for a set piece, the second goal's a fluke. We've not actually scored what you would term a proper goal as such, with good build-up play up until, what, three minutes to go when Scott Arfield scores, so... It is becoming a wee bit of a, a concern for me at the moment, do you? I won't lie. I was going to touch on the, the Scott Arfield goal as well earlier on when I was going to give him a, a summary. I thought the Scott Arfield goal was excellent. And I think it's, it's it's one of those goals that only Scott Arfield scores for us. And that's my criticism of Ken and, and Cantwell. You're, you're, you're wanting them to make those runs the way that Arfield does. And actually, it's such a finesse finish as well. He just gives the keeper the eyes and just knocks it past them. But that, that goal itself actually was very nice because Hadji... Um, great to get him some minutes. Great to get some some minutes under the, the legs of some of the players that haven't played a lot of football. But that was nice play from Hadji. A nice ball to Cantwell. And that's the area that you want Cantwell to be playing. That's where he can be really effective. And it was a nice ball across to Arfield. But you're right. That was a, probably the only nice bit of play that I think we played across the full 90 minutes. And I didn't watch their game, but I've seen the highlights um, as I was preparing for the pod. And the, all three of their goals were top quality. Um but what I would say about Celtic now, Celtic brushed hearts aside very confidently and their, their goals were top quality. What I would say about Celtic is one of the comments I made earlier on is, is building teams that suit their different styles. Celtic have got a very much a Mark Warburton plan A and it's one of these kind of one-dimensional, we're just going to go out and, and attack, attack, attack. And I think um, Ange Postacoglu has built a very good 11 to do that, but he's also got a very good squad to do that. I think where he um, he's he's done well is he's realised that you've got five subs and you can run players into the ground and then change it at 60 and just keep going. And I think that's why Celtic score a lot of goals. But where Celtic are exposed, and it's it's difficult to sit here in our, our, our you know our glass house after our performance in Europe this season, but where Celtic are exposed is, is taking that plan A into higher competition. Um, Celtic weren't great and have not been great in Europe. Um, under Ange Postecoglou because that system will not work when you're playing against better teams and that's where we can be a wee bit more flexible and certainly under Geo we try to be a bit more flexible we will not go over old ground and talk about our performance in Europe this season but I think you know looking ahead we have a hell of a challenge they are they are the, the, they are the benchmark right now we need to make it very clear they are the leading team of Scottish football hard as it is to say that they are the team that's leading the league the league does not lie we need to catch them this summer. Um, huge, huge recruitment. Um, this is Ibrooks, one of our um, another great Rangers content podcasters. Um, had an article with Stuart Gibson, who's our third largest shareholder, and he made it very, very clear that Rangers can't be going out and spending money like one million pound on a player this summer. We need to be going and dropping some some big money on strengthening some real key positions in this team. Otherwise, we are going to be left behind. And I think. I think it's three trophies in it now, an entire history, maybe two now, an entire history between Rangers and Celtic. 
Um, we need to put that right. We need to put it right very quickly. I don't have any patience now to get it wrong again. No, you're right. I think it, it's fine, but we'll just start counting more trophies if that happens. So, you know, I don't I don't really see any problem with it, to be honest. <laughs> um, aye, um, Craig, I can just see it. Craig Gray, the wartime years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll get my D-Mob suit out in the ration books just to make it make us feel a bit better. Uh, it would be good. That, but do you know what? It's um, That's the thing with Rangers and Celtic. Do you know what? It's like, it doesn't matter what you do or what you say. There's always going to be a comeback for somebody else on something. That's why we love it up here. But um, obviously, Dougie, that, um, the man whose job it will probably be in the summer to, to get that recruitment right is Ross Wilson. And speaking of Ross Wilson himself, we had the infamous banner gate earlier um, where the Union Bells, you know, were... They got they brought in a, a banner about about the police. It was a derogatory banner about the police apparently. Um, and then apparently the stewards didn't allow that in. They said it was because of a banner about Ross Wilson. It's back and forth, back and forth. I mean, it's something that we need to talk about because obviously it's quite a pressing issue. But for me, Stuart, it's just it's one of the things it's not good for the club when you've got you've got fans and fans groups fighting with, with the people in charge. No, I, I I was quite amused or bemused by it that the um, the Union Bears were banned from their usual location because of what were deemed derogatory um, comments about um, the Scottish police. And I, I, I did wonder when I saw the banners then what, what rank that Wilson had actually risen to um, you know, was he the was he the new Taggart on a on a you know on our streets going to defend everybody? Um, it was like you know, I there's a lot there is a lot on him because I think people have actually how can I put it? It's a bit like the the king's new clothes. If you keep repeating something often enough, then people will say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." You know, he's doing a he's doing a grand job. And then when you take into effect these signings that he's had over the years are made, you know, once you start breaking it down, his strike rate might not be described as being terribly good. You know, I think I think one or two guys have carried his, um, you know, his his myth perhaps because of the performances but if you take you know over the piece guys that have been signed because they're going to do X, Y and Z and end up doing absolutely none of it because they're constantly injured I think that part of it you know has to be ironed out as well that you know if you're bringing players in it's fine bringing the talent in you know any of us could go and say this guy's really really talented because we've watched him over 18 minutes and he tore some team apart you know the fact it's his first game back this season, uh, in the middle of November, having been out of sorts all season because he's been injured, seems to pass everybody by. So I think anybody that he goes out and targets or recruits, there will be real, um, there will be real scrutiny of that this season. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Dougie. I mean, Ross Wilson's a weird one for me. Um, I've said it before, I think it might have been last week that I actually said it, that the club don't help themselves with us in terms of the communication because they still haven't actually came out, neither's Ross Wilson, and said specifically 
what his role is now. We know what his title is, sporting director. We think we know what his job entails. Um, but I think that would be something that the club maybe could do. You know, obviously there's a lot of pressure in the next, and there's going to be continued pressure in the next few weeks. Could the club maybe do it? Even if it is just an in-house interview with Ross Wilson, you know, this is what my job is, this is what my role is. He obviously thinks he's good at his job. That's fine. Come out and tell us why. Come out and tell us what, you know, what your targets are, what your success rate is based on. Is it signing players? Is it selling players? Is it money that you bring in? Um, is it stuff like injury and stuff like that? So I think that would be really good from from the club's point of view. I mean, what what's your point of view, Dougie, on, on Ross Bilsen and the whole Bannergate situation today as well? I think on the Bannergate, um, there's, there's, there's several different facets to it, but what I will say is there's no winners. Nobody wins out at Rangers as a, a football club don't win, the supporters don't win and the board don't win from it. It's, it's a difficult one. Um, there's been a lot of offensive banners over the years from Union Bears, some about the police. Those were deemed acceptable previously. Why was it deemed unacceptable today? Is it because of the director of failure comment or is it something that was that was going to be worse, um, as a worse banner than what they've displayed previously? Um, listen, the board are not performing just now. There's something seriously going wrong at the top level of Rangers Football Club and with the, the absence of a strong supporters club, um, because Club 1872 should be doing more in this situation. Potentially, someone like the Union Bears thinks that they can they, they can go and um, be a voice of the supporters. But other people in a, in a, in a different lens will say it's not their responsibility. Um, they have become too vocal. They've become too political in their views. We shouldn't be bringing signs about the police. We should get behind the team. Um, and I think, regardless of my view, um, if we were winning, this would not be a story. Um, there'd be full support for the board and, and, and this this wouldn't be happening. So it's very easily fixed. <laughs> and that's to go out and just win games and win trophies. Um, in terms of Ross Wilson, the communication between the board and supporters has probably never been as bad. Um, certainly in recent years is what it is just now. But having said that, I don't think um, the... Football club would like to put Ross Wilson in a position where he has to come out and explain what his job is. I think I think there's been a lot of um, comments before around what his role is, and actually, what you'll get is probably a lot of subtleties, such as the This Is Ibrooks podcast that I, I referenced earlier on, where Stuart Gibson was on. Stuart pointed towards the successes of Ross Wilson, which is absolutely one of the things on his objectives that he's clearly been marked on, and that's the sales of, of players like. Calvin Bassey and, and, and Joe Aribo that brought a lot of money into the football club. But as you can see in the comments straight away, it's, it's what we did with that money um, that's, 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 that's now um, been hung over Ross Wilson because I'll be honest, up until this summer, I was fairly defensive on, on Ross Wilson because whilst his transfer record has not been great since joining, he's also not been given a lot of money to go out and spend um, on players. So he's been shopping bargain basement and you know, you go back to the AGM when he when he made the comment about Bakuna, for example, that we had to sign guys like Bakuna on our free and we managed to make a profit on him. These guys were not good enough, but we are shopping bargain basement. This summer with the sales of, of, of Aribo and Bassi in particular, we had a lot of money um, available to us. We probably didn't spend as much money in the summer as I hoped we would do, given the success of Europe and, and the money we brought in in player sales. But the players that we brought in um, this season have not been good enough 
Um, and, and a large part of that's actually down to sheer unluck. You know, you look at guys like John Suter, Michael Beale referenced today that when, when Gerard was in charge, the club really wanted Suter. Michael Beale wanted Suter, so it's a player that we've long wanted. Tom Lawrence hit the ground running. His his stats were were excellent when he was when he was fit, um, and that's his first ever injury in his career. Um, so we've been really unlucky from from one perspective, and another. Um, a, a lot of players just haven't hit the ground running straight away. You can see comments about about Matondo. Matondo's one that's going to that's going to hit um, a lot of nerves because um, we paid circa three million pounds for Matondo. Rumour says that he's on around £28,000 a week, which would make him £10,000 a week more than Ryan Kent and in our top five earners. So whilst I understand that you need to give guys like Yale Matt's time to come in and grow into the jersey and, and, and um, they're going to take time to develop and Yale Matt's a player that's not really settled yet. Some of these guys might come good, Matondo might come good. The issue is when you're paying that kind of money and you're paying that kind of wages, you're expecting players to hit the ground running and we've not done that. One of the questions that I'll, I'll, I'll pose now and I don't have the answer um, is I wonder how this transfer window will be seen or the summer transfer window will be seen six to 12 months down the line when these guys are fit and these guys have settled because um, I have wrote Matondo off, right? Personally, I have wrote Matondo off already. Um, but I get the impression that Michael Beale has not yet and a reference Yomats, for example, these are kind of guys that, that might come good. You never know, they might come good, but hopefully Suter um, can, can shake off his, his, his injuries and Warren's can return in the new year. You wonder when these guys are all fit and all playing, whether we'll look back in the, the summer recruitment and say, actually it wasn't as bad as we thought, but fundamentally it was not the players that we needed at the time. We needed guys that were going to come in and win his trophies um, straight away and take us up a level. And that's where the challenge comes this summer. Because regardless of all the comments that are being made um, around whether we think Ryan Kent or Alfredo Morelos are good enough for his next season, we all know their failures, um, you know, their weaknesses of, 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 of the playing style. I've spoken about Kent's already. Morelos is, is just too inconsistent for me. Um, it's going to take a lot to replace those two players because whilst they've got those frailties, they're both very good players and have actually been very good players for Rangers. So it is a very big summer ahead to get it right and um, a lot of pressure on Ross Wilson a lot of pressure on the board uh, if they think the pressure is rough right now from supporters and particularly the Union Bears if we don't get it right this summer it's going to ramp up a hundred times Yeah you're right it's um, I mean it's a massive summer um, biggest summer that I can think of probably since Gerald came in in terms of a complete rebuilding, I've said it before, Michael Beale's used the words maybe revamp or revitalise. I think it's a complete rebuild that needs that needs done because I just think that I think this squad's had its cycle four or five years, and I, I you know I think we've arrived at an natural end for for a lot of the players and two of those guys that may or may not have arrived at that natural end are obviously Kent and Alfredo Morelos and Stuart the manager. Touched on it earlier doing an interview with uh, with Ayerplay, um talking about the contracts. Obviously, he said that no one's been offered a new contract, but he made an interesting comment where he said, "You know, I have said on record I want to keep Ken, I want to keep Jack." And then when it came to Reynolds, he was a little bit more coy and you know inward looking, so to speak. Um, if it was you and you're making a decision, 
as a manager, forget finances. I know I have mentioned finances because I think that does have a part to play in it. You know, it's not just easy. It's not maybe just a case of saying, well, Morelos, your performance been bad this season. You can leave in a free because you're still going to, you're going to have to pay minimum, I would say, five million quid plus 25, 30 grand a week in wages to get a guy of his quality in. The exact same with Ryan Kent. But if it's up to you, no finances and you're Michael Beale, are you getting both of those on How your contract? How much do pay for Morelos? One million pounds. Therefore, you don't need One a five million pound player. If you're scouting right and you see somebody that you can pick up and can do you a, a job and can develop and can turn into a player that you want, you don't need to be spending five million pounds. I take your point, Craig. The, the, the difficulty with this is that Rangers bought Morelos for a million quid and within a couple of seasons he was worth 8, 10, 12, 14 million. And there's still people running around that in their head just now that if Rangers let Morelos go, they're basically saying bye-bye to several million pounds. They're not. They're, they're allowing a guy that they signed for a million pounds to walk back out the door that nobody came in for Morelos or, or Rangers didn't sell at a particular time. It's down to either the player or the the you know buying clubs or indeed Rangers for not accepting what bids were actually there. All in all, what you've had is a player who's been there for what, five, five years, four years, five years, so it works out about 200 grand a year for what your outlay was. So that, so you can't actually spend that amount of money. The thing that Rangers are now dependent on is finding a goal scorer. And at the time when they signed Morelos, it didn't have a goal scorer of that prowess or that ilk. The, thing, the fact he set scoring records for Rangers adds to the kind of, if you like, the, the status and legend of uh, Morelos. But all in all, at times, he has looked disinterested this season. He, he looks as if he's somebody going through the motions as if to say, I know I'm not going to get offered a new contract, therefore, why should I bother turning up? You can't see people off the premises when they've got that attitude. They need to play, especially when you've got a squad that's maybe, you know, down to the threat, a bit threadbare in terms of injuries and the likes. But, you know, again, I, I, I am not surprised that Morelis, you know, might actually have petals thrown in front of his feet to lead him out the door of Ibrox this this summer because I think he's over over the, the piece he did a, a decent job for Rangers but again you know somebody who wouldn't probably feature my top 25 all time Rangers strikers it, it wouldn't wouldn't break my heart. Players have bigger players have left Ibrox than Morelos and it might be that he's actually just you know he's 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 up to, he's reached his sell by date or actually um you know used by date and it's time for him to go and you know and, and again strikers are difficult enough to come across but you know there are guys in the lower leagues in England I go back to Ryan Kent Rangers you know you'll hear people saying Rangers spent a fortune in Ryan Kent Rangers spent as much as any English Championship side would in a top a top player. That's how much Rangers signed, um, or how much they bought Ryan Kent for. So the Championship clubs in England seem to be able to unearth strikers who can score goals for for fun. You know, there, there's there's one of them who 
maybe doing other things for a, a, a period of time. Um, I'm not quite sure he'll be stitching new, uh, mailbags, but you know, uh, you, you, you look at Ivan Tony, you know, he didn't suddenly emerge as a, a, a the Brentford striker who was going to score tens of dozens of goals for you. In fact, he was a replacement for somebody else who went elsewhere. So if you've got a scout network who know, and I'll say this candidly, who know what they're supposed to be looking for and actually know what they're looking at when they're on the pitch, then you don't have you don't have anything to worry about. I think Rangers are fans, uh, certain elements of the Rangers support are getting carried away that they think you need a ready-made replacement for um, you know, um for Morellas, and he's going to cost absolute fortunes. Not necessarily so. There's people out there that you can as Morellas proved himself, spend a million quid in the right area, you'll get a decent player. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting point there about obviously how much he cost. I mean, personally, I I think Morelos and, and even Kent, I, I think both of them have, have probably reached their sell by date. I do think, however, the manager wants to keep Kent and he sees him as a, a vital part going forward. That's fine. He gets paid the, the big bucks today, right? And I don't. So um, he's entitled to opinion like I am. I think the thing about, uh, I think, sorry, the thing about Morelos is, though, obviously cost a million quid coming in, but. He wasn't incredible in his first season. I think he scored 14, it was either 14 or 19 goals. I don't know why I've came across either one of the two numbers because they're quite far apart, but I'm sure it was one or the other. You know, missed glaring opportunities against Celtic. We didn't really see the best of Morelos until his second season under in the first one under Gerard, And then when you did start to see how good he was, he was getting sent off every other week. Um, his best period at Rangers was the first half of 1920. Well, you know, he's banging in goals against Feyenoord, Porto, and that's when I think there was a bid from Leo that came in, I think 16 or 17 million or something like that, and we knocked it back. Um, I thought he was good in the season that we won the league. He wasn't, you know, electric and doing unbelievable things like he'd done before, but he had good spells in the team at points. But that was also aided by the fact that you had guys like Ken that were scoring, Aribo that was scoring, Ruth that was scoring, Hadji that was scoring, Tav, Barisic, getting goals, getting assists. We just don't really have that. You know, we're, we're starting to get that back a wee bit with the, with the signings that we made in January. Um, Campbell's obviously getting an assist today, so that's technically a number. But I, I just, I, I'm worried that, you know, they will need to go out and spend money because I think people are most likely that we're going to need a first-choice striker anyway. You know, if you sell Morelos, does that mean you're going to need to go and buy two first-choice strikers? Or, you know, you're buying one at five million quid and then maybe buying one at a million quid? And I know, as Dougie already to earlier, Stuart Gibson said that those aren't the players that we should be looking at. But I suppose you do need squad fillers um, as well. Dougie, I know I've went on for a wee bit there, but if, if you're the manager, what what's your decision on both of the players? Um, just before I touch on that, I just want to go back to the Brentford comment around Ivan Tony that, that Stuart makes. I think it's a, a great example of a transfer strategy and where I think we failed in handling Morelos because if you look at Brentford, for example, um, Brentford actually in the season they signed Ivan Tony, um, they actually sold Ollie Watkins to Aston Villa for £30 million and then signed Ivan Tony for £10 million. That's the transfer philosophy that we need to be looking at. You need to be selling guys when they're at their peak and then replacing them with quality that you've been able to scout across the world, across the globe. As Stuart said, there are bargains to be had. We've already signed Morelos for a million. 
let's find the next bargain. Hopefully, and I, I have high hopes for the two that we signed in January. I think Raskin and Cantwell look to be the right level of quality um, that we need at Rangers. And, and, and we didn't spend big money on them as, you know, five, ten million pounds, for example. So that's that's the benchmark for me. We need to be doing that better. But the flip side of that, and, and, I, and I always talk about this, is apparently the Leo bid came in, um, for example, the summer before we got on to win 55. So for me, it's one of those really tough decisions. Gerard wanted to keep his best players together because he thought that team was capable of winning the league. It went on to win the league. That was one of the most significant league titles in, in my living um, history. So um, history will tell you that it was the right decision because we wanted to win the league and it was such an important trophy. Um, but I think our bank balance will take a hit for it. And it'll take a hit for a, for a, for a few years because I don't think we'll be able to go out and spend big money on a, on a, on a striker to replace Alfredo. But on the two players themselves, um, I think Michael Beale gave away a lot in his, his press conference today. I think when it's from a contract perspective, I think on Ryan Jack and, and Ryan Kent, I think he made it very, very clear that he wants those two players to still be here next season. And for me, he put a lot of pressure on the board because he basically said, listen, I want these players. It's up to the money men to make it happen. Over to them, sort out the deals. Um, what do I think of Ryan Jack and Ryan Kent? Um, Ryan Jack, I would keep I'd keep Ryan Jack. Ryan Jack um, has his injury problems. He's missed a lot of football. When Ryan Jack is fit, he's one of our best players. And you've seen that on Wednesday night. You get man of the match against against Hibs. And, and Nico Raskin looked a, a much better player beside Ryan Jack. I think with Ryan Jack, he's now 31. Um, so it's maybe an opportunity for us to offer him a slightly reduced terms where we might be able to keep him um, on a lesser wage, but keep his influence, keep his homegrown status um, and keep him for the big matches. So I agree with keeping Ryan Jack, but if the terms are right, Ryan Kent, Ryan Kent's another one where I think we missed the boat in selling But again, I think the Leeds interest was that kind of summer that we went on to win the league again. So again, it's that kind of balance around when do you sell these players. As Stuart alluded to earlier on, the reality is we did not get the bids that we expected for some of these guys. If we get bids after the Europa League run for, for Kent and Morelos, we would have taken them given our contract situation, I don't think we got the bids. So we're in a situation just now where we either lose Ryan Kent for free or we, we sign him up for a new contract. Personally, I would have preferred a new left winger, um, somebody with a bit more goals and assists to his name going into this season. And therefore, I would have said it would have been a great time to kind of phase Ryan Kent out, bring somebody else in. But I, I really worry about our finances. I don't, I think there's a lot of positions that need strengthened this summer. We know we need a goalie. Um, I think we need another central midfielder. If Ryan Kent goes, we need a left winger. Morelos looks like he's going. We need a centre forward. That's a lot of money, and it might be that we decide to prioritise spending that money on one or two positions and therefore keep Ryan Kent. I wouldn't be against that. Um, Ryan Kent, as I said earlier on, has had his big moments. Borussia Dortmund being a great example. I just wish we had somebody that had a bit more end product. So I would have loved to have replaced Ryan Kent. Um, but I think if our hands are tied and it's purely financial, I wouldn't be adverse to keeping him, um, giving him a bigger wage, getting a bit more out of him, hopefully, um, as Michael Beale knows him, as he's hitting his peak point of his career, and maybe selling him in the summer of next year or, 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 or afterwards. 
on Morelos, I think Michael Beale made it very, very clear what his position is on Alfredo Morelos. Listen, I'm, I understand your point on Morelos, Stuart. Um, you always see these polls come up on social media around which striker would you pick in their prime? Would you pick Morelos? Or, it doesn't even have to be Ali McCoyce. You know, you can go way down the list and start saying... I would, would pick my Cloyston crutches before I'd pick Morelos. We all would. But, but there's questions like who would you have? Morelos, Perso, Moles, Jelovic, and a lot of the other players were at hands down in, in every one of these polls. But I think what we've got to remember with Alfredo Morelos is Alfredo Morelos is our all-time European top goal scorer. And that is two things. One, it's longevity. So he's been here for a number of years. And two, he just suits certain styles of football. I go back to the Porto game when he was up against Pepe. He absolutely ragdolled Pepe. He bullied him into a point where Pepe had to limp off a pretend hamstring injury because he just didn't want to face Morelos. That's Alfredo Morelos at his best. But the issue that I've got with Alfredo Morelos is it's on his terms. He's too inconsistent and... The reality is, Alfredo Morelos goes away in the breaks, whether it be in the summer and the, the, the winter break, and he comes back two stone heavier, and he's not fit to play when we need him in the in the qualifiers or in the games at the beginning of the season. And for me, it seems, based on Michael Beale's comments, it seems that he's probably a bit fed up with that because he made the comment that he wants to see a higher level of commitment from Alfredo now. We don't see what's happening behind the scenes, but see when your manager says that, that is utterly scathing. So I think it's fair to say that we will not see Alfredo Morelos in a Rangers jersey next year. And as much as that will be a sad day for us, because he, he is a, for, for me, he's not a legend, right? The, the phrase legend is around far too often. We, we covered Hall of Fame previously. He will never make it in the Rangers Hall of Fame, but he will be welcomed back in Ibrox with an open door in 10 years' time when he's long retired. Um, because he was a good servant to the club, but I'll maybe a very wide, a very wide, very wide open door to get him through if he keeps going the way he's going when he's off <laughs> he's playing. Do you know what I was going to say, Stuart? I guarantee you right now, and it's hindsight's going to be a wonderful thing, and it'll bite me in the arse here. But I guarantee you right now, Alfredo Morelos will leave Rangers, and you'll not hear of him again. I don't think he's the type of player that's going to go away and light, you know, set the world alight um, when he moves on elsewhere. Um, Sevilla is a club that he's been linked with they're, they're sitting just above the relegation zone in Spain I hate the city I love the city but I hate it now I hate that stadium but if he goes there it's a great move for him to play in La Liga it's a great move for his family to we'll live in a lovely city of Seville I don't think you'll see him get a bigger move after that bold prediction I think you're pretty spot on there Dougie um, conscious of timing so we'll um We'll just finish off with this last point. Obviously, it's, it's something that I wanted to to mention the last couple of times I've been on, but I've not really had a chance. And that's the sort of wider state of, of Scottish football in terms of the quality. Um, personally, I've never known it as bad as this, to be honest. Um, you look at Celtic yesterday going to Tyne Castle, the third best team in the league by quite a country mile, and Celtic absolutely battered them. Um, you know, Rory Hamilton said in commentary yesterday after Moy's goal that that goal was coming and that was after two minutes and he was right, it was coming. <laughs> Had a decent chance before it. Billy probably should have scored. Clark makes a good save, but they went there and battered them. We go to Tyne Castle a few weeks ago, same thing, we battered them. 
even earlier in the season we go to Tynecastle, we win 4-0 um, under Gio, that's playing the horseshoe, we still managed to beat them 4-0 um, <laughs> even when we're going through that period in November under Gio where we were drawn with St Mirren getting beat off St Johnston we still managed to beat Hearts at Tynecastle and that was probably our, our toughest game, sure I'd, uh, I seen a guy earlier who was on Twitter talking about this and I think he was a Morton fan right but he said like everyone's talking about how bad Scottish football is blah 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 but he went the teams out with the old firm haven't been decent since the 80s and I suppose that is a fair point but it just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse now and it's it's got to a point where you go to Tynecastle you go to Easter Road you think oh that's a tough game you might drop points Celtic might drop points etc we go there on Wednesday, Easter Road, we batter hubs. You know, it just it seems to be getting worse and worse from my point of view. I, I think, uh, and I'm looking forward, by the way, Dougie, um, for Alfredo Morelos to suddenly become the the, um, the Colombian Oleg Solenko when he goes to Spain is never heard of again. Um, but no, I, I mean, I'd hate anybody to think actually you was talking about when I mentioned made the Bre- the Brentford reference there, but you, you do see you did see what I meant in terms of the whole scouting network. And dare I say it without anybody getting into meltdown on social media or on um you know the comment board, Celtic have they spent fortunes on some of the players that they've 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 brought in. They have scouted exceptionally well. And I know people will say uh, Ange Poster called Global, he's just buying from a market he knows how to deal in. Well, so what? You know, if that's the case, that's then, should be doing. then Michael yeah. Michael Beal should be an expert in what he's seen in and around the championship or in and around English football as well. Um, the In terms of the standard, I, I think, you know, the, however I mentioned the Morton fan, it mentioned the, the, the 80s is obviously a good memory. Um, but I would say probably the the mid mid to sort of late nineties, um, in terms of standards, have just have just progressively gone down and down and down, because I think it was just after that that you suddenly had this thing called Bosman kicking in, which which a great majority of Scottish clubs couldn't fathom because they didn't have the resource to buy players in the, the you know the first place, and then guys get out the door, um, you know under freedom of contract. You know that that would never have happened. They would manage to sell, you know, sell some of these guys before that that would happen. So I think the standard has gone down. I made I, I I made reference to to this somewhere else the other day. There, Rangers in midweek beat Hibs and scored four against them and gave them an absolute tonking. And if it had been seven or eight or nine, nobody would have batted an eyelid. And eyelid. In fact, I said that to a Hibs fan who also happened to be my dentist and said that to him and he did not bat an eyelid. He didn't even clench on his teeth when I said that because he knew it was factually correct. And if you've got Rangers, Rangers who are a, you know, a, a, a length behind Celtic, if you like, in terms of what they're capable of doing on the pitch, suddenly beating the likes of Hibs or Celtic beating Hearts by a distance, you suddenly realise the absolute gulf and the absolute gap that is in terms of what Rangers are up against or what Celtic are up against. I've always referred back to the European context. The run that Rangers went on in Europe last season was something that I never thought they would... Uh, I would ever see again 
from any Scottish club, let alone Rangers. And I thought the same when Walter Smith took his team to Manchester. I didn't see anybody having the quality to, in that level of performance and the consistency through a European run to actually get anywhere near a final. And I, I, you know, I found it remarkable. Um, and and I and I just I just think that footballers will will come and play. You can offer them twenty grand, twenty five grand, thirty grand a week, and footballers will some will come for the money. Others will look at it and say, "And how am I going to improve myself?" And right at this minute, I think the Rangers might make certain approaches to certain individuals, and they'll turn around and they'll go, "No, it's not for me." You know, I, 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 I spoke to hundreds of Rangers players and the attraction was, one, they were going to be playing in European football, two, they were going to be winning things, three, they were going to be playing with better players. Almost instantaneously, they found out one of the big drawbacks about playing in Scotland was playing teams four times a season. So you've just been kicked by some guy who two weeks later is back kicking you again. Or you've just been booked... For, you know, belting somebody who is then, you know, for a, a month later is back trying to boot you up there again. I, I, I think that part of it just basically depresses people. You know, don't get me started on league reconstruction and all the rest of it. League reconstruction in Scotland over, you know, the last 20 years has always meant adding teams. We should be getting ready teams. You know, there are some teams in Scottish football just now that are only playing for the pools money they get or the lottery handouts they get or what they what the what they're drip fed. They don't need much money to survive because you've got teams actually taking players on who are actually getting paid by the players to take them on because they want a short window. Now, you know, the standard, as I say, isn't very high. It's the worst that I can actually remember. But and amongst that, you would expect Rangers to be doing a hell of a lot better than they're doing accordingly. You got them started. I know for another thing. One last thing. <laughs> the, whole thing the whole thing about Morelos setting records. All right, Morelos on. setting records is fine when he was playing. He's played some seasons. He was playing like 14 games more than, say, Derek Johnson did. At Rangers um, in the seventies, because Rangers played one match or one tie, they were knocked out. Whereas nowadays you're playing like eight group games and maybe a couple of, and qualifiers. So you could be playing eight qualifiers and then eight group games or, or six group games or whatever it is. You're bound to be scoring more goals. You know, if you if you have decent at all, you get more opportunity to score the goals. That that. Well, this that's against well, me, sure. you know, lies, lies, damn lies and statistics. I've always been a great believer in that. Well, well four of the goals uh, that Morello scored, I'm pretty sure, came against a team for Gibraltar. So, <laughs> I could, I could say something, but I won't. See, on the subject of the the standard of the league, standard of Scottish football, the one thing that I would say, just to support Stuart as well, is, I don't need um, your support. There is not a lot of players. <laughs> <laughs> there is not a lot of players playing within Scottish football right now that you would look at and say we should sign them and and, and, and that is particularly players from Scotland and right. I'll finish on this one thing we played Wraith Rovers today I understand the significance of the game it's a quarter final chance to go to Hamden a very winnable trophy we've got no midweek game we want to build momentum 
we didn't have a single academy player on our bench today either. And I think that's fairly telling as the quality that we have within the academy. You're right. You're right, Dougie. Uh, and just to pick up on the point you've made there, and you made made well, let me put a bit of some jam and icing on it. You're talking about looking around Scottish football and going and saying, you know, Rangers could go and sign him. There is not a new McCann playing anywhere else in Scottish football that you would say, that, that somebody of the standard of Dick Advocate would say, I want him at Ibrooks. Now, I know you could, you could level up what they were saying, um, Dick Advocate, went and brought Darius Adamchuk in. Listen, everybody can make a mistake, but there's there's not an Alan McLaren playing at Hearts that Walter Smith could go out and buy. You know that Duncan Ferguson at Dundee United that would, that Rangers would break the bank to go and bring in, or David Robertson at Aberdeen. There is nobody, and the, and the guys that, that Rangers could sign of a certain level, like the boy that went to, from Aberdeen down to Liverpool, Rangers are never going to spend... Three million quid on a, a replacement fullback for Patterson when they're, they're basically, you know, smoking cigars and burning tenors because they've got, you know, umpteen million pounds for Patterson going to Everton. Sure, that right there is a problem though. What people have right now, and it's, it's a fairly good but bad problem to have is whenever there's a young player coming through any club outside, in fact, even including Rangers and Celtic, when you look at the boy Ben Doak. Celtic and you look at examples like Billy Gilmore and, and, and Patterson and um, even the boy uh, Rory Wilson that went to Aston Villa the minute there's a sniff of a good player coming through an academy right now an English club comes and takes them and they come and take them and it's you know Rory Wilson's an example it's compensation it's minimum compensation to get them down there they're taking the players at a young age because they can pay big wages to them and do you know what see if they don't make it they just discard them because one of them will make it but if he does make it, then they'll make them a lot of money in the future. Um, mm-hmm. th- there is a serious issue, and that's not a Scottish issue. That's a football issue that I think UEFA need to do more about because I, I, I actually cannot stand English football for a lot of reasons, and that's in number one. They have this monopoly over world football. And see, the other night, I was, I, I, I'll use the phrase Kevin Keegan again, I was loving it because that's a team that, you know, AC Milan was it? They lost one of their best players. Or they lost their main transfer target to Bournemouth because they couldn't compete financially with a team like Bournemouth. I'm delighted to see teams like AC Milan that are your giants of my childhood. I grew up watching uh, football Italia, watching teams like um, AC Milan at the top level of, of European football. They now can't compete with Bournemouth, so when they go in and beat a team like like Spurs. Who are Spurs that, that seem to think they can get into some um, Super League uh, ahead of teams like Rangers? It's, it's a snobbery of English football. It's Sky Sports is killing, is killing world football. And good I'll take my answer. Good night. I will. Thanks for listening. We can all agree that it's mental in Scottish football and everything else, okay, can't we? Okay. And I didn't even get ranting about the referee today. Oh, so, no. Have you got another little guys at home? <laughs> Honestly. John Beaton, did they say it? It's the worst conspiracy ever. Celtic fans seem to think that he is this Rangers fan because he was photoshopped once in that crown bar in Bells Hill. That is one of the worst refereeing performances I've seen. And I've seen somebody commenting on the amount of players at Rangers that seem to pick up injuries against these teams because of, of challenges that go unpunished. Malik Tillman was not fit 
for a, set, for a final against Celtic and he's not been seen since because of hammer throwers uh, in a party thistle jersey. And we're very lucky to see him going to happen again today. Yes, we are. And on that note, we are going to have to wrap up, guys. Thanks very much um, for, for listening to his ramble uh, this lovely Sunday. Doogie, thanks very much, mate. Thank you, Craig. Stuart, thanks very much. Thank God it wasn't a good game. Oh, I, know. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine? Just uh, a little reminder, guys, that uh, the podcast will be available tomorrow on all your usual um, podcast platform providers. And we'll be back next Friday with a little preview of the trip to Fur Park. Thanks for listening, guys, and I hope you have a good rest of the week. Bye-bye.